You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off today. We begin with another shocking crime in Vancouver's troubled Chinatown. The victim is a fixture in the community, a well-known volunteer security guard who was brutally attacked. Kristen Robinson is live from that neighborhood. And Kristen, first of all, what's the latest on the man's condition? Chris, the community here is heartbroken tonight. The 64-year-old security guard, who's beloved by everyone here, was taken to hospital with head injuries and possible broken bones. Now it all unfolded just after 11 a.m. Friday. Police and bike paramedics responded to Columbia and Pender Streets, where the injured guard was sitting up, conscious and able to talk and walk. He was doing his usual morning rounds, according to police, near the Chinese Cultural Center, taking pictures of the area, which has experienced racist graffiti and street disorder. As he took photos in a laneway, police say someone became enraged. The guard was attacked and punched repeatedly before he fell to the ground. Multiple witnesses saw it happen, including one person who intervened. The suspect fled. Chinatown merchants say the security guard is well known for protecting the community and keeping them safe. He's shocked to me. Uh, I don't know why uh, the people are so allergic, um, aggressive to attack um, the, pers- the friend I know that. He's uh, working hard around this area. He's uh, friendly to everyone. It's, it's really kind of sickening. Tony's such a nice guy. He just, you see him walking around the neighborhood just diligently checking in on business after business after business. For all this time, um, he is he's very valuable asset to the neighborhood because he's always doing his job and uh, never a moment that he he's kind of like high from his job and uh, he's, he's doing a very good job down here now as you can imagine there's been an outpouring of community support for the injured guard and some good news to report he has now been released from hospital Police say they are reviewing surveillance video as they hunt for a suspect. Chris? All right, we hope for word on charges. Thanks very much. That's Kristen Robinson reporting in Chinatown tonight. One man is dead after a shooting in Maple Ridge this morning. It happened around 11.45. Ridge Meadows RCMP responded to reports of a shooting on 216th Street between Dudney Trunk Road and Lougheed Highway. Officers found a 33-year-old man who'd been shot. Despite life-saving efforts, he died of his injuries. The man's identity has not yet been released. Investigators say it's unknown if the shooting is related to the Lower Mainland gang conflict at this time. Witnesses are asked to call IHIT. The body of a man has been found in Castlegar, and police believe the death is suspicious. According to RCMP, the body was discovered Thursday night around 11.30 near the CIBC on Columbia Avenue. Police are releasing few details right now, but investigators say the death appears to be the result of suspicious circumstances. The man's identity hasn't been released. Businesses around the bank in that part of Castlegar are closed while the investigation continues. Anyone with information again is asked to call Castlegar RCMP. An evacuation alert for properties near the new Richter Mountain fire has been rescinded with that fire now basically under control. And dozens of evacuees are back home and Highway 3A has reopened near the Karameas Creek wildfire. 
But the B.C. Wildfire Service warns the fire is still a challenge and people need to be aware. Amada Gahi has more. Well, if you take a look behind us at that highway junction, you will notice that for the first time in more than a week, the crews there facilitating the closure of Highway 3A have packed up and left just one day after many of the evacuation orders here have been lifted, which gives you an indication of perhaps the end to the most critical moments of the Karameas Creek wildfire. So far, there hasn't been any lightning fires um, started from last night into the overnight period that would be in the vicinity of the Karameas Creek. So, yeah, looking still uh, good in that aspect, but still another two days of potential thunderstorm activity. The thunderstorms throughout the central and southern Okanagan Thursday and into Friday morning provided an entertaining light show. And while dozens of fires have started because of the lightning moving through the province, so far none have been deemed fires of concern. In fact, it was not lightning but a problematic transport truck that started this 30-hectare fire along Highway 3 and Richter Mountain, west of Osoyoos. Here, quickly, crews were able to get the upper hand. The largest of the seven wildfires of note in B.C. continues to be the Karameas Creek. For days, planned ignitions and backburns have led to its dwindling threat to homes and infrastructure. Enough so that nearly half of those evacuated have already gone back home. Home sweet home is total relaxation now. Not on pins and needles and not stressed. Just so relieved. So you don't appreciate your home sometimes steer away. And this is just wonderful to be home. In the community of Olala, the sentiment now is a thankful one for the many crews who worked on the Karameas Creek wildfire and whose efforts have led that fire away from dangering their homes. You get to go home! <laughs> right on! The grateful sentiments, it does help, I think, uh, when they're uh, able to, you know, person-to-person express their thanks as they're seeing our crews. That really does get home to the crews. Also today, BC wildfire crews that are working specifically here on the Karameas Creek wildfire uh, were reinforced with personnel coming in from White Court and Grand Prairie, Alberta. They were seen loading up into trucks and heading to the front lines on a uh, summer that has seen subdued fire activity compared to a year ago. Uh, there are crews here making sure uh, that it remains that way. Amadagahi, Global News. And some late-breaking news to share with you. One of B.C.'s biggest unions has issued 72-hour strike notice. We'll bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. And, Keith, if they walk out, it could have a major impact on government services. So how will this likely unfold after the 72 hours are up? Yeah, you know, job action or strike action can take various forms. It could be an all-out walkout by everyone, which I kind of doubt is going to happen. It could be rotating strikes. It could be work to rule, a ban on overtime, all sorts of creative ways to put pressure on the employer. We're going to know on Monday the GU will inform its members what the initial wave of job action will look like, and they will be in a position to take that job action as of 2.46 p.m. on Monday afternoon. That's the 72-hour mark after their formal issuance of strike notice. Uh, again, here's a reminder of what they left on the table when talks broke off, an 11% 
pay increase that's over three years. Some people get a little more, some people get a little less, plus a $2,500 signing bonus. So that was what they turned down at the table a few weeks ago. They had a strike vote of more than 90% uh, signing off on yes, which is a pretty hefty mandate for the negotiating team. Uh, so they will be in a position to take job action on Monday afternoon. Now, this is, doesn't begin and end with the GEU. There are almost 400,000 public sector employees working without a contract right now. They're at various stages of renegotiation at the table. The BC Teachers Federation goes to the table next week for two or three uh, days of sessions with their employer. Uh, but there's a lot of contracts that have yet to be signed. So the GEU was the first to uh, go into negotiations and the first to break off negotiations. There will likely be other breakdowns on other talks as well. So uh, the stage is set for a very bumpy and fractious fall and perhaps winter when it comes to labour relations in the public sector. There's probably going to be a lot of job action out there. And more information on it on Monday. Enjoy the weekend until then, Keith. Thanks a lot. All right. All right, Keith Baldry in Victoria for us. Well, just ahead of another busy travel weekend, BC Ferries has again been forced to cancel some sailings due to staffing shortages. The Queen of Alberni will not run this evening between Horseshoe Bay and Departure Bay as planned. The 5 p.m. sailing from Nanaimo and the 7.20 from the mainland are cancelled. Would-be passengers who had reservations will get refunds. The United States Center for Disease Control is rolling back guidelines around social distancing, COVID-19 testing and quarantine. Many people wonder if the same will happen here. But as Richard Zussman reports, our COVID rules remain the same, at least for now. It has been a COVID staple since the beginning, keeping those six feet. But now in the United States, the CDC is no longer recommending it. It's unclear whether these recommendations for distancing are going to help us uh, sort of deal more effectively with endemic COVID. So it makes sense to move on. The public health agency releasing new recommendations this week, along with no longer recommending social distancing, the CDC is suggesting contact tracing should only be used in hospitals and long-term care, and there's no need to quarantine, vaccinated or not, after any type of close contact. One, two, three, poke. The U.S. CDC has often been out of lockstep with Canada and B.C. The recommendation here is to still social distance. I think continuing to, to remind people that we're in a pandemic is really important, even in this period. We surveyed our members and around half of BC small businesses did say that they would voluntarily keep some of their COVID-19 protocols in place going forward through the summer. But many are largely ignoring recommendations anyways, as concerns linger for the fall. The CDC is still recommending people isolate for five days following a positive COVID test, while also masking up indoors in public spaces in high-spread communities. These guidelines one step closer to providing across-the-board international guidance around the virus. There are going to be guidelines for which we will be personally responsible going forward. It begins with getting all of the vaccines to which you are entitled. And I think the CDC recommendations are clear in that regard. The next most important thing is if you're sick, stay home. Staff staying home due to COVID has had a profound impact on businesses like this one throughout the pandemic. And the Canadian Federation for Independent Business would like to see the province consult with businesses. So any type of reintroduction or recommendations or stronger language from the provincial government needs to give businesses some time. The other good sign and why experts are supportive of most easing is immunity. 
almost 95% of people, either from vaccination, infection, or both, have some protection against COVID. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The federal government is announcing funding for education and prevention initiatives in the fight against monkeypox. The Fed's committing $550,000 in funding for community organizations in Western Canada. The money will allow grassroots groups working with gay and bisexual men to create pop-up clinics and transmission and prevention initiatives in the communities most affected by the virus. There are more than 1,000 confirmed cases across the country, only 98 of them in B.C. so far. The Public Health Agency of Canada says wastewater testing could soon expand to detect additional public health threats beyond monkeypox or COVID-19. With polio cases ticking up in some countries, Canada's top doctor says the program could be useful to detect that virus too. Polio virus is, is, is something that has to be monitored in environmental samples throughout the world in different places. Um, so, so that is something that um, is, is a bit more established. Uh, we haven't to date uh, been looking for polio viruses. But should that need arise, of course, we can, uh, we're, we're already starting to look at what the options are. Right now, we're not necessarily looking at any other virus, but it is something that can be adapted. Another um, area of application that we've been thinking of prior to the pandemic is looking for antimicrobial resistant organisms. So that is a key area of exploration as well going forwards. A local radio host suspended for comments he made on air. He was referencing a disturbing video of domestic violence and what he said cost his job at least temporarily. That's next on the News Hour. That is strike three, and Little Mountain has reached the top. The Little League team from BC that just went undefeated at the Canadian Championships and how they feel about going to the World Series. Next week, that's coming up later. Also, one to a party in the county jail. A senior's home celebrates its 60th anniversary with a singer who knows how to keep the crowd entertained. That story is coming up as well. But right now, a BC South Asian radio host is under fire tonight for controversial comments about victims of domestic violence. And a warning, some of the details and video in this story will be upsetting to some viewers. Paul Brar was referring to a story out of New York City involving a sick woman who died by suicide after reporting she was being repeatedly attacked by her husband. She used a camera to record that abuse. Ramina Dea has the story and the backlash against Brar. old Mandeep Kaur screaming as she is being beaten and choked by her husband, according to reports. Kaur's two young daughters, four and six years old, crying, yelling at their father to stop. Kaur, who's from New York, said she couldn't take the abuse anymore. The videos posted to social media before she killed herself earlier this month. The disturbing case garnering international outrage. 
BC radio host Paul Brar weighing in on his show on Sherry Punjab Radio, where he told listeners they shouldn't automatically blame the husband. He hasn't been charged, adding that after looking at the weepy video, everybody is making their own conclusions. Listeners appalled, triggering backlash on social media. He goes on to say people need to be quiet until the case gets wrapped up by the police. Why should anyone be quiet, man, when injustice is happening? To be honest, he should be fired. Why isn't there a public apology? I had victims calling me, messaging me, emailing me, regretting that they came forward. They're like, oh my God, our community thinks this is a joke. Like, I don't think we should even talk about our abuse. Uh, we've, we've taken swift action to uh, take this host off the air. Brar suspended. With or without pay, station director Dale Bod won't comment, citing privacy. We strongly condemn, you know, the, the words and everything that was, uh, you know, done over the air. And, uh, and we will do whatever we can to, uh, to uh, be accountable to our, our listeners. Brar's future at the radio station undetermined. The station director vowing to go public with the decision once the internal review is complete. Romina Dea, Global News. A notorious Kelowna property has more than three dozen police files on it, and RCMP were at the property again yesterday. But as Claudia Van Emmerich reports, it's been very difficult to stop what has been an aggravating stream of chaos and disruption. It is a Kelowna house that's garnering a lot of attention from not only neighbours, but city bylaw, the fire department and RCMP. Since November of uh, 2021, we've had 37 police files there. Uh, not all criminal code, uh, assisting bylaws, fire, uh, but every time we go there, we create a police file. The home in the 200 block of Nickel Road in the city's Rutland area has been red flagged by the Property Standards Compliance Team, which is made up of various agencies and created two years ago to address potentially unsafe or illegal properties. We deal with the properties that are, that are most egregious and are causing a real problem in, in neighborhoods. This particular property in Nickel Road checks all the boxes. The latest visit to the home was just on Thursday afternoon to conduct what officials are calling an inspection. Last night uh, during the, uh, the bylaw inspection, uh, we recovered a $5,000 stolen electric bike that we were working to return to its owner. The home is well known to police. Earlier this year, Mounties attended the property in connection to a serious assault that occurred there. But there's a lengthy list of other safety-related infractions as well. There's a number of violations for building, fire, uh, and zoning. The team is working with the Lower Mainland-based homeowner, who, according to police, is trying to get the tenants out. They're living in the building uh, illegally. The uh, landlord is actively trying to have them evicted through the Landlord-Tenancy Act. Neighbours are hesitant to speak publicly, citing safety concerns, but efforts are underway, including working with a homeowner who's cooperating to get the problem resolved. There's no cookie-cutter approach to how fast the, the, the issues are going to get resolved, but we will maintain uh, a collaborative effort and concentration on that house until the matter is resolved. And police say the public can help. And we encourage all the neighbours and anybody that walks by or drives by, if they see anything that's concerning, to please call the RCMP. We will attend right away and, and deal with whatever matter that it is. It's a family neighbourhood and people in the neighbourhood have a right to feel safe. And we're working towards it. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna.
Just ahead, the search based on suspicions of a U.S. national security risk. More details of what the FBI was looking for at the home of Donald Trump and what they found. And signs of recovery at a landslide that once blocked salmon from swimming past. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a crash here in Vancouver, northbound on Knight Street at 41st Avenue. It looks to be in its final clearing stages, which is good news because it's backed up to 57th Avenue on the approach. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. Hive up a crash in Vancouver. We're learning more about the FBI search of Donald Trump's Florida home. It found documents marked top secret, the highest levels of U.S. government classification. The now unsealed search warrant for Mar-a-Lago also reveals Trump is being investigated for possible violations of several U.S. laws. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more on what was found and the possible consequences. The findings are significant, the warrant focusing on three areas that include destroying or falsifying investigations and also transmitting or losing defense information, which could be seen as a violation of the Espionage Act. It all raises the level of concern over why this information was taken. This is not only the center of Donald Trump's social life, it's the center of a potential national security crisis. I personally approve the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. The U.S. Attorney General's approval to search Mar-a-Lago came after failed efforts to secure sensitive documents that the Washington Post reports could be tied to nuclear weapons. The former president, using his social media platform, called the nuclear weapons issue a hoax and, without evidence, wondered if it had been planted. That's ridiculous, absurd, and frankly, offensive. For days, the search has left Republicans in a bind in determining what's more problematic, the matter or the process. What was this imminent national security threat upon which this was based? The FBI raid of President Trump is a complete abuse and overreach of its authority. How do you feel, Mr. Trump? But that argument from the third-ranking House Republican runs against a reality laid bare on Friday. The search finding dozens of items, including four considered top secret and others so sensitive they require a secured facility. There are laws against the improper handling of, of this material. Trump's allies claim he declassified things. The former president says the same thing. That would have had to happen during his term and with sign-off. What we'll see happen over the next few days is DOJ will first review the evidence that they seized from Mar-a-Lago. They'll decide whether or not there's a basis uh, based on what they found to charge someone with a crime. The former president remains defiant that he did nothing wrong, but this investigation is now far from over. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Still ahead, Little Mountain makes it to the top of Canadian baseball. I was overjoyed and so, so happy that we made it. The BC Little League team that went undefeated at the Canadian Championships and has an even bigger challenge just ahead. And the bee that broke up Doug Ford's photo op and how he took it all in stride later. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. We're just some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve through Richmond. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. 
The housing market looks a lot different today than it did during the buying frenzy of 2020 and 2021. Home prices and activity have cooled, and many economists believe there is more correction to come in the months ahead. And Gaviola has more variables in how to navigate what is a challenging market. Canada's housing market has defied expectations throughout the pandemic, with an eye-popping run-up in prices, which only began to cool as the central bank jacked up interest rates starting in March. This the last two years have shown us anything, and is that you know predictions can be wrong most of the time. Nick Hill is a real estate investor with money in a handful of projects in Ontario. For some, he went with a static variable rate mortgage, which means monthly payments don't change when the Bank of Canada increases its benchmark lending rate. What changes is the ratio of interest versus principal he's paying, with more going towards interest. What's really started to happen is the cash flow on these properties has started to dissipate. Um, and I'm looking at that not happy. However, I'm looking at that as a temporary thing. Variable rates has, have historically always performed better than fixed rates over a long period of time. His investment horizon is long-term, though, so he's not losing sleep over this. With a myriad of changing considerations, making the right choice for you can be a challenge. Daniel Foch, who does a real estate podcast with Hill, suggests buyers do their own stress test, including a worst-case financial scenario, to fully understand their financial cushion and risk tolerance. Examine the total cost of the interest that you pay over the course of a mortgage term and look at that side by side with the you know, three different interest rates or mortgage products that you might be looking at. During the pandemic, the popularity of variable rate mortgages soared, but they may not be the right fit now, especially for households with little financial flexibility. I think that this is a symptom of a housing market that is basically in crisis and people were chasing prices. Personal finance expert Rubina Ahmed Haq suggests preparing for another hefty interest rate hike expected in September. So that's a really scary position to be in, whether you're a seller or a buyer, because it does just create that unpredictability. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Former B.C. Premier Christy Clark is endorsing Jean Charest to become the next leader of the federal Conservatives. The former B.C. Liberal leader made the endorsement at a conference in Edmonton hosted by a centrist conservative advocacy group. During a speech, she encouraged politicians to avoid stoking division, warning the Conservative Party seemed to be, quote, racing to the extremes. Charest, a former Premier of Quebec, currently lags behind longtime MP Pierre Polyev in polling for the race. The new party leader will be announced on September 10th. In Health Matters now, a toddler in Langley is lucky to be alive after falling from a third-story window. She was airlifted to hospital with serious injuries, and now her dad wants to spread the word about the dangers of open windows. Kylie Stanton reports. When signing this cast, Supergirl seemed fitting. Perhaps even an understatement, given what Taryn Lim has survived. It's just a miracle. On Monday, the two-year-old was playing near this window on the third floor of her Langley townhome when she lost her balance and fell out, landing on the ground 20 feet below. 
This is terrifying incident. You don't want to go through the same thing that what I've gone through. The toddler was airlifted to BC Children's Hospital, where she was treated for her injuries. A broken leg, cracked jaw, as well as two teeth pulled. And she's one of the lucky ones. Some of them are um, relatively quick admissions, and some of them are children who uh, will need lifelong care, frankly. So... Uh, we're trying to increase awareness of this problem and trying to uh, provide tips for families to avoid these issues. As the summer continues to heat up, parents are encouraged to move furniture, planters or anything that can be climbed on away from windows. Fasten windows to open a maximum of 10 centimeters. Talk to your children about the dangers. Remember screens are easily pushed out and install window guards above the ground floor. Easy to install. And when you open the window, windows stop at 10 centimeters. This is a tragic and preventable uh, problem. And uh, I would ask everyone to look at their environments and do their, what they can to help safeguard their children. Last year, BC Children's Hospital treated 16 children for window falls. Two patients died. So far this year, 11 children have been treated. The average age is three to six years old. I don't want any other kids from now on. She's the 11 one. I do not want to hear 12 victim in this hospital again. The hope is sharing Taryn's story will help make that a reality. Lim now knows even Supergirl is at risk if precautions aren't in place. This can be happen to anybody. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And up next, signs of recovery after a natural disaster. The landslide on the Fraser River that choked off the salmon run and why fish now have a fighting chance again. They just swallowed the beat. He just swallowed a bee. Ontario Premier Doug Ford interrupted by an insect, and his reaction is creating quite a buzz. There is hope salmon stocks are rebounding as thousands of Chinook and sockeye have now passed through a critical area along the Fraser River. Nearly four years ago, you might remember a huge amount of rock and debris sheared off along a cliff in the Big Bar area trapping migrating salmon. Paul Johnson reports with more on the progress and what officials are still closely watching. Though the event was entirely natural, if you had tried to pick one of the worst places for Fraser salmon to have to deal with a landslide, the Big Bar site might be it. It's a narrow choke point just above Lillooet that all of the North Fraser runs have to navigate. And its remote location made it an exceptional challenge for government to try and fix. Salmon are life to First Nations, Indigenous people. There has been a lot of collaboration to clear as much as we possibly can from the from the uh, Big Bar landslide side. So any any successes are celebrated. On Friday. Federal, provincial, and First Nations officials gave an update on progress at Big Bar. After years of excavation and developing methods to track fish, they're now reporting close to 40,000 Chinook and sockeye are swimming past the site every day right now. Likely helped by the placement of a series of boulders laid out in a way to create a kind of natural fishway. And that has the effect of slowing down the water on the west side of the canyon. And it allows fish to come up, swim, rest, and swim 
and and dart up through through that piece. The sonar and radio tracking devices they're using will help them count salmon over the course of the coming months. And what they find will determine whether more excavation will need to happen. Well, this summer has seen headlines about strong returns of pink and sockeye salmon elsewhere. People familiar with the results of early test fisheries say the hoped-for huge run of Fraser River sockeye may not be materializing this year. Well, that would be another disappointment for anglers. The initial fears that the big bar slide could be an extinction event for many upper Fraser runs may have been averted. By working together, this goal is yet again being met. According to the increasing numbers of uh, salmon currently swimming through the slide site uh, on their own power. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, good to see things improving there. What about the weather? Let's bring Yvonne in, who's uh, in for Christie tonight and watching some very active weather across parts of the province. Now, the southern half, once again, Chris, good evening, everyone, especially extending into the southeastern corners of the province. Severe thunderstorm watch and warning, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. A quick glance outside right now for Metro Vancouver. We're sitting at 24 degrees. We've got a few breaks in there. We've got a blip in the forecast with even the chance for some showers for the start of our weekend, but I'll have that in just a moment as well. Severe thunderstorm watch. Those are the areas in yellow. We can see that extending. Now, the severe thunderstorm warning is uh, for the Nicholas, Locan, and extending in towards the boundary. We're looking at the potential for intense lightning, which we've been tracking. Even yesterday was a great example. Intense downpours, very gusty winds. Even Kelowna, I saw peak wind gusts out of that region, just over 60 kilometers per hour. And we are looking at the potential with that rainfall, a big concern in the lightning across the region, and the potential to see hail, nickel silos. So we'll be tracking that. It'll likely dissipate and actually push its way towards the central interior and those will be the areas of concern for tomorrow. I've also picked up a few lightning strikes just off of the northern tip of Vancouver Island, so a heads up, and we are seeing some lightning extending into the northeastern corners of the province. Now, here's the blip. If you've got plans for the weekend, overnight tonight, we've got an increase in cloud cover, a chance for some showers that'll take us in towards our Saturday morning. Not a complete washout. It looks to clear quite quickly as we get in towards the afternoon. We're back into a partly cloudy sky, and then temperatures bumping up to 23 degrees. So a heads up, a bit of a, a, a blip in the forecast just for the morning hours. Now, the one area of concern for tomorrow will be for the central interior with that risk of thunderstorms and then extends in towards the northeastern corners. We're also looking at some showers in the mix and that'll be along the north and central coast. Heads up and a reminder, the fire danger rating sitting at high, at southeastern corners also sitting at extreme. The rainfall will be along the north coast for tomorrow. The instability for the northeastern corners and the central interior continues through the day. Bit of a break across the southern half, but still hot and dry with temperatures pushing closer to 30 degrees. A few isolated showers for the morning hours along the the south coast breaks a clearing on the way and then hot and sunny into early next week with areas away from the water getting up to 30 degrees. We've had a lot of photos, Chris. Tonight's central windows weather window photo is from Kamloops, a great shot that was captured by Peter from the storm. Now that is a lightning bolt. Great shot, Peter, and thanks very much, Yvonne. Ontario Premier Doug Ford caused quite the buzz after swallowing a bee during a news conference. It's coming from the health sector. <laughs> Holy Christ. What was that? I just swallowed a bee. Oh, my God. Holy Christ. I knew that little bugger. Oh. Are you okay? I'm good. He's down here buzzing around right now. He has a lot of, he has a lot of real estate. Now, if that was in the clip, okay, this is going to be replayed over and over again. And that just made Colin DeMello's day. He's going to be laughing all the way back to the sea. Holy Christ. He's, he's wedged in my throat. Sorry, guys. A little bugger got away in there. If you want to take a second, <laughs> take, take a second. No, I'm, I'm okay. He's buzzing in there. 
Yeah, as you heard, the premier assured reporters and everyone else there that he's okay after the incident. No further sign of the bee. Not sure it survived the ordeal. All right, uh, let's check in with Barry, who's in for Squire right. again tonight. And yeah, big news in, in local Little League. Uh, yeah, a lot of hot air. I said that B could not survive in the hot air of any politician's stomach, that's for sure. Yeah, sure, the Little Leaguers, we've been following them, and uh, the kids from Little Mountain are the champs. That is strike three, and Little Mountain has reached the top. Little Mountain on its way to Williamsport. We'll have the story of the uh, Little Leaguers' big win in Calgary today. All right, look forward to that. Barry, also tonight... No better way to celebrate a 60th anniversary than this. Seniors take a trip down memory lane with Elvis later. Barry's back with more on the boys from Little Mountain. Yeah, yeah, they're fun to watch, the Little Leaguers. They're, they're, yeah. such, pure, you know, they're such pure sport at that age. They're not, not quite teenagers yet. They still hug their parents. It's wonderful. All right, thanks uh, so much, Chris. Well, BC's dominance at the Canadian Little League Championships continued in Calgary today. Little Mountain out of Vancouver beat Moose Jaw 9-4 in the final to make it 15 of the last 16 national champs from our province. Now Little Mountain heads to Williamsport, Pennsylvania to compete in the iconic Little League World Series. That is strike three, and Little Mountain has reached the top. Pennsylvania-bound, the Little Mountain Baseball All-Stars will represent Canada at the Little League World Series next week. You know, I think I've, I've led a pretty good life, and I would have to say this is probably the, some of the most stressful times of my life. Little Mountain manager Ulysses Yan wasn't the only one feeling the pressure. The team narrowly beat Rocky Mountain 3-2 in the semifinals, so even a five-run lead against Moose Jaw in the final didn't feel safe for Ben Darnell. When he loaded the bases and they had their biggest hitter up, I was really worried. Ben and his teammates won't have to worry anymore. Now they can get back to the grueling life of being a ball player on the road. If we have like a morning game, then we get a bunch of time after. We get like free time after. Uh, limited pool time. But, uh, and, but if we have a game in the middle of the day, then you get like a little bit of time before. Maybe have breakfast with the team and then you play and then you're like going to bed pretty soon after. The road to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, home of the Little League World Series, has been long. Winning all eight games at the national tournament was just one of the stages of the climb. BC is hard to get out of. Even just getting out of our own district was hard. So these boys have been playing baseball basically every day for the last two months. Go, go, go in, in high leverage games. Their style of play mirrors the way they've progressed stage of this journey. They're a team that plays small ball and is all about getting players on base and bringing runners home. Well, with the kids, it's, it's not just focusing on the win. It's focusing on all the things you have to do to achieve what you want to get done, right? So don't look at the end result. Look at the little pieces that get help you get there. This is the 15th time in the last 16 Canadian regional championships that a team from BC has earned the right to represent Canada. But it's the first time for these kids, so it's hard to know how to celebrate. I don't really know. Maybe a party, dinner, something along those lines. We're going to fly at midnight to Ontario tonight, and then the next day, I'm just um, happy to get sponsored by Easton, get free stuff and all that stuff. 
Doesn't hurt to get the free stuff. The uh, Whitecaps are down to their final 10 games and are in the middle of uh, yet another epic playoff battle. Next up, on the road against the L.A. Galaxy tomorrow night. Vancouver's 11th place, but they're just six points out of third. So it's jam-packed. Their fate's still in their hands, but every point is crucial. And Vanny has been doing a lot of math to figure what kind of results they're going to need to get in. We know that we need one slash two results away if we want to make the playoff. So we know that uh, the big chunk of points needs to be done at home. Uh, We have five games home and uh, we need at least 12 points there, home. But we need, uh, I would say, five, six points away in 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 the five games that we have away. So that means it's either one win and a couple of ties or two wins. So the sooner the better, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Quarterfinal Friday at the Canadian Open in Montreal. Huge ovation for hometown boy Felix Auger Aliasim. Unfortunately for Felix, that was the biggest cheer of the day. He was just awful today against Norway's Casper Ruud. Felix, who's got a great serve, was broken in his first five service games, dropped 10 straight games at one point. He was brilliant the first two matches, so it's uh, a shame he played like this when it uh, was all on the line in the quarters. This point set it all. Usually those smashes are a 99% win, but he still lost the point, and he lost in two quick sets. 6-1-6-2. Nick Kyrgios also lost today in Montreal. PGA Tour playoffs, second round of the St. Jude Championship from Memphis. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin will roll in the birdie putt here. Adam had a good day, three under 67, four under for the tournament, made the cut, so he's in good shape to advance to next week where only the top 70 get in. He's about 55th right now. Nick Taylor, also of Abbotsford, needed to make the cut today and then have a big weekend, maybe get into the top five to make it to, to next week. Got on a roll on the back nine, makes the birdie here for his third straight. A valiant effort, but Nick will not make the cut. Finished at plus one, missed it by three. So his season is over, but Adam Svensson did make the cut and uh, will have to have a good weekend to advance on as well. So BC boys played well. Six Canadians uh, started the FedEx Cup playoffs. Five are still in and a couple from BC. Still lots to cheer for. Sure. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. Nice folks on the LMB guys, too. I know they'll be thrilled. Thank you. All right, uh, Elvis hasn't left the building. He's just getting here. That's next on the News Hour. All right, Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, it is the last thing that Merritt residents needed, flood damage. But Thursday evening, as thunder cells rolled through, there was flooding, and it affected some people who are still cleaning up from the flooding of nine months ago. We'll hear from them at 11. Plus, the latest on the Hastings Tent City decampment and what may or may not happen over the weekend. Chris. All right, still some tension down there for sure. Yeah, thanks very much, Jordan. Well, some spirited Calgary seniors were rocking out with a pretty lively party today as Gil Tucker shows us they're celebrating a special occasion with a very special guest. We're going to go to the dining room. Florence Hall is always ready to roll. I get around and still go all over. Up for whatever comes her way. Like this special guest dropping by. Down to a party in the county jail. Elvis rocking the lunch bunch here at the Spruce Common Seniors Building. Spider Marvel greater than a saxophone. Do you like rock and roll? No. Everybody, let's rock. I'd rather have Western. Ride with me. 
but Elvis can't get enough of this crowd. These are the best audience I could ever wish for. Just wanna be your teddy bear. So I go around in senior homes, and there's a lot of people that actually went personally to see Elvis in concert. Oh, let me be. So they're telling me story that I can learn from that. Don't be cruel. It's a dream coming true. Elvis is here to help this seniors housing organization celebrate its 60th anniversary in Calgary. <laughs> Will you get on me down? My face. Elvis and that music appeals to many of our residents. It's upbeat celebratory music. Oh, <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, not many people here have been celebrating longer than Florence. I'm 102. Love me tender. And after all those years, this is something you never let me go. So what keeps her going? Every once in a while I have a little touch of something that's a little stronger than coke. <laughs> For my Florence, I love you. And at this party, a little chaser of Elvis. God bless you, Florence. <laughs> Thank you. Gil Tucker, Global News. I don't know, it seems a little close. In the COVID area, I, I'm just saying, but, you know, at least they're having fun there. Good stuff. Break All right. the rules when it's Elvis. Mm -hmm. exactly. Elvis has special rules. We know that. Yep. You can bend the rules a little bit. You're right. <laughs> uh, Yvonne, last word on weather before we go and some of that uh, stormy weather that could hit in the interior. Yeah, we're still tracking it, especially for the southeastern corners of the province. Uh, for Metro Vancouver, though, a bit of a blip will be overnight. And for the morning hours, we've got a slight chance for some showers. So a heads up for the early part of Saturday. And then it clears out. We're back into some sunshine and warming up. Still summer-like into Tuesday, Wednesday. Away from the water, even up to 30 degrees. Beach and boating weather for sure. Glad to see it stretch on. Thanks very much for joining us, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.